0: I'm not enough. I'm inadequate. I can't do what you're asking me. Can you relate to that? How often do you feel inadequate? I know I do, maybe every day. How often do you feel like you fail as a father or a mother? How often do you feel like you aren't performing well enough at your job? How often do you feel like you aren't a good enough friend or husband or wife? How often do you feel like you're not a good enough Christian? We feel inadequate. Like we are, aren't up to the task. And if we are called to Gospel ministry in each of these areas and we feel inadequate, what do we do? What do we do? The answer is we rely on Christ. We rely on Him in, with, and through us. It is only through His power that we can fulfill the work of Gospel ministry. It's only through the power of Jesus Christ that we can actually do the work of spiritual, cultural, and social renewal both Um, as a church and as individuals. And this is what we're going to talk about today as we walk through this passage. That all of us are called to this. And it's only through Christ that we can do it. So we're going to see this in three ways. One, Christ uh, with us provides security in gospel ministry. Second, Christ through us provides the substance of gospel ministry. And third, Christ in us shapes us in gospel ministry. Will you pray with me? God, as we come to this passage, thank you that each of us have a role in your kingdom. Each of us, um, you have gifted us to work and do good work for you um, and your kingdom here on earth. So God, as you are renewing and restoring this place and we get to partner with you in it, God, give us the confidence that it is only through Jesus Christ that um, anything can be done. So let us rely on you as we uh, go through this passage. In your name we pray. Amen. So Christ with us. So imagine that you're Jeremiah, right? God uh, sits, sits you down, tells you your destiny. He says, before you were born, I knew you. I've set you apart to be a prophet to the nations. And then, uh, so just imagine God saying that to Jeremiah. And his response is super relatable, right? The, uh, the, the first thing he says is literally, oh, Lord God. And this, ah, is like a, it's like a complaint. Like, are you serious? Me? And he says, the first thing that comes to his mind, uh, I don't know how to speak. I, I'm too young. And this is, uh, if you go kind of back through the Old Testament and look at all the calls of the prophets, almost all of them deny God, like straight up. Um, what's interesting about this story, though, is not Jeremiah's response, since most of them do it. It's God's. Because God refutes him immediately. And says, don't say you're not too young. He says, you will go where I send you and you will go where I command you. Doesn't matter how young you are, how bad your grades are, how ill-equipped you are, how not ready you are. If I say go, go. And if I say speak, speak. And then God says something amazing. He speaks to the root issue behind Jeremiah's refusal and maybe the root issue that most of us feel He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to what I've called you to. I know you feel inadequate. I know you feel like you're not ready. Not good enough. But don't be afraid, because I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to be with you. Um, Sometimes I, I think we lose the power of this. Uh, I've got Star Wars on the brain these days after the disaster that is Rise of Skywalker. Um, and uh, <laughs> to go back and watch the OG ones, man, they're just so good. And um, at the end of New, uh, A New Hope, you know, Luke is about to blow up the Death Star. He's going, sorry about this, by the way, but here we are. Um, Luke is about to blow up the Death Star, right? And he... Hears Obi Wan's voice and he says, "Put away your tracking computer." He puts it away, and Leia and the fam is like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "I got this." And you know, he says, "Use the Force," and he uses it. And Han comes and gets Darth Vader out of the way. All that stuff is great. Um, blows up the Death Star, right? And as he's flying away, he hears Obi Wan's voice and he says, "The Force will be with you always," right. I think, here's why I tell you this, (laughs) I think we often look at God's presence with us uh, as the force, right? It's like this abstract, ethereal presence, maybe sometimes helps us out when we really need him. But what we have in Jesus Christ is so much more, okay? Jesus Christ isn't an abstract and ethereal spirit, he's a person, We don't have a neutral source of power that exists somewhere that we can just tap into. Jesus Christ is a person. And He is with us. He is with us. The promise that we receive in Scripture over and over and over is that we have the real presence of the person of Jesus Christ with us. Every day. Do we live like that? Do we live like that? And this is what God says to Jonathan. We can't or So Jeremiah, sorry, we can't lose the power of this. He said, "I will be with you." I realize that what I'm calling us to this morning is not easy. Uh, I want us to look at it as an elevation of everything that we do in our lives as gospel implications. It'd be much easier to say the work of gospel ministry is only for church staff, or elders, or pastors, or when you're helping out on Saturday mornings at Serving Greensboro, or when you're checking in with people at community group. Um, but parenting my kids, being gospel ministry, nah. Being a good student is part of gospel ministry, nah. Working well, diligently, and Christ-like in my job, gospel ministry. if we start looking at stuff like that it's scary we become afraid fear is a driving force for all of us and this is what fear does it isolates i haven't felt more inadequate in my life and i've I've said this from this place before than i have in my role as father and i feel like i fail in it every day and i think the biggest thing that it's done to me is it made it's made me feel alone which is ridiculous because there's like 3 billion fathers in the world, right? Um, And yet, my fear of screwing my children up or not doing enough for them or not being good enough for them has made me feel so alone. And when God told Jeremiah that he was going to be a prophet to the nations, Jeremiah was terrified. And when I tell you and myself that everything we do has gospel implications. It feels very scary and isolating. But this is why we have community. Because we get to do this together. When I started opening up about my struggles as a father to people it was the first time that I finally felt like I could actually do it. That I could honor God in it. That they maybe not... Uh, even. I still have a counseling you know, fund for them rather than a college fund. But, you know, I'm not putting as much in it as I was. The work of gospel ministry can be fear-inducing. When we need to call our friend out for hurting us and are worried whether or not they'll respond well, it can be scary. When we need to make tough decisions for our family, financially or in in discipline or otherwise, we can spiral into fear quick. But the question for all of us is this. Are you as alone as you think you are? The person of Jesus Christ, if you have faith in Him, is with you. In your inadequacy to the task that He has called you to, you are not alone. In your fear and shame of whether or not it's worth doing what He has called you to, you are not alone. The God of the universe is with you. So, Christ in us provides the security to fulfill the call of gospel ministry. Now we see that Christ through us gives us the substance of gospel ministry. So God proved to Jeremiah that He was always with him, uh, but He doesn't stop there. He says, not only will I be with you, I will also provide the substance of the message itself. Verse 9 shows how far this promise goes. He says, Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. So God reaches out and touches physically Jeremiah's mouth. This is a a symbolic and physical sign for Jeremiah that it's not his words that he's going to be preaching. And bringing down the nations. They're God's words. They don't originate with Jeremiah. They originate with God. And then he does something really cheeky here that I really like. Uh, You know, the "Ah, Lord God thing. That's what Jeremiah said to God when uh, he responded to him. Jeremiah then says, behold. Right? And his behold was, I'm too young. I can't speak. Well, God parrots that behold and kind of tosses it right back to Jeremiah and says, Behold. I have put my words in your mouth. And he does this so purposely. He says, look, I'm even going to use your word to remind you that in your refusal to me, I put that word in your mouth too. The words that he speaks, even when he realizes or doesn't, have always originated with God. Jeremiah, who felt inadequate, not ready, not good enough. God showed him that it was God who would be the substance of his message. And he goes on to say, See, I've set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and plant. The substance of Jeremiah's message is an active one. You hear the verbs? There's six of them. He'll pluck up and break down, destroy and overthrow, build and plant. The gospel, and it's ever working in active nature, is constantly building up and breaking down, turning right side up and upside down, building and planting. And here's what's cool. We get to be a part of that work. We get to be a part. Um, There are many programs in this city, in Greensboro, that give out food like we do on Saturday morning, that are passionate about providing for the oppressed and marginalized and impoverished. There are many groups of men and women that meet for social connection and community. There are many groups of men and women in the city that meet together that want to grow as people, sometimes even spiritually. And there are many groups in this city that create beautiful and wonderful art and get together to do it. But we feel like the church is different than those things. The difference is this. Everything that the church does originates from the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is His substance that is the meaning, purpose, and point of everything that the church does and everything that Hope Chapel does. We give out food and clothes on Saturday morning because Jesus died and rose again, and through the power of His resurrection, He wants to renew the social brokenness of the world. We meet weekly for worship and have men and women's Bible studies and prayer teams because we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, and through His power of His resurrection, He wants to renew the spiritual brokenness in the world. Community is integral to who we are at Hope Chapel. And our groups are a place of vulnerability and care because we believe that Jesus died and created a new people. We interact with culture and create beautiful art and find meaning and stories together because we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again. And through the power of His resurrection, He wants to renew the cultural brokenness of the world. I know I sound like I'm beating a dead horse, but we can't ever lose sight of it. That is the substance Of what we do. Christ is the substance of renewal. His death and resurrection is what sets what the church does apart, and it's the reason why we do what we do. Whatever role you fill in God's kingdom, parent, artist, worker, student, you are going to feel uh, inadequate. And here's the truth. You are going to be inadequate. You're going to fail. And that's okay. Because it's in those gaps that the substance of Jesus Christ fills. Here's the gift that God gave to Jeremiah. If you try and do the work of gospel ministry on your own, you will fail. You will never be enough. You'll never be a good enough husband for your wife. You'll never be a good enough mother for your children You'll never be a good enough student. You'll never be a good enough friend. And you'll never be a good enough Christian. But if the substance of who we are is the grace of Jesus Christ. It will always be enough because He is enough. He is enough. We are not enough, but Christ is. And when our sin was too big of a penalty, Jesus took it on Himself. When death was our destiny, Christ died so that we could live Eternal. And we cannot be perfect. Christ was perfect so that we don't have to be. We are not enough and that's how it should be. Because Christ is. All of us are called to this work of spiritual, social, and cultural renewal. Um, and it's our uh, integral to our vision at Hope Chapel to be passionate about those aspects of the gospel. And we will continue to be. And the truth is this. If we ever lose sight of the substance of Christ in it, those areas will be ineffective. If we don't make Christ all in all in every part of our ministry, in our daily life, and even the work of the church here in the city will be for nothing. He is the substance of what we do. And we are committed to never losing sight of that. So, Christ with us provides security. Christ through us provides substance. Finally, we're going to see that Christ in us shapes us. Often, um, what happens when a prophet is called, uh, is there a sign or or, or vision or prophecy attached to the calling? And this is what we get here in the first chapter of Jeremiah. This is like kind of his call to ministry in general. And we're looking at it as our call as well. Um, One commentator said that these visions that are part of his call here um, uh, shape him so much that the rest of the book... That they're like the Harvard and Yale for Jeremiah. Um, And I thought it'd be apropos for Hope Chapel's purposes that we'll consider them his Clemson and Chapel Hill. Um, And verse 11 says this, And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. And the Lord said to me, you've seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. You've seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. That's an odd turn of phrase that we're going to get to in a sec. These two simple verses are are ripe with imagery and importance. In Palestine, almond branches, uh, Nick, you got those for me, uh, are the first plant and flower to bloom. Look how pretty those are in the entire country. They bloom months in the dead of winter before anything else does. And that fact that this is the first vision that Jeremiah receives in his call to gospel ministry is incredibly important because here is the gift that God is giving Jeremiah. He's giving him hope. Um, when, Andrea and I moved here to Greensboro, we looked for a long time, well, it was like a month, but, uh, <laughs> we tried to find a house to buy, right? Then there was this one house that, uh, the kitchen was terrible that we would not go look at, um, and we finally did, got past the kitchen thing, the, the price was lowered enough, and we went, and, uh, we went through the house, it looked way better than the picture showed, and we were really feeling like we wanted to put an offer on it, and we go outside in the back, and it was like January, right, because that's when we moved here, and... Andrea, a a florist, um, a wedding and event florist, looks down and she sees some blooms. And they're hellebores. And hellebores are Andrea's favorite flower. And they bloom in North Carolina, which they're pretty common here in North Carolina. They bloom in the winter. And there was something about us looking down and seeing her favorite flower in the whole world blooming that kind of was like, maybe this is the house for us. This is it. It gave us hope in that moment, like, we're going to be okay here. We're going to buy a house, we're going to put down roots, and we're going to be okay. And this is what God gave to Jeremiah with the vision of the Almond Branch. He said, the task I've given you is a big one, but have hope. I know you feel inadequate, not ready, too young, but have hope. I will set you apart, and you will not fail, because I am with you. He moves towards Jeremiah first, not with the size of the task, not with judgment, not with all the tools, but with hope. And he does something really cool here. The word almond branch in Hebrew is uh, shoked. And the word watching is shoked, right? Uh, And that's what he's saying. You've seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. So the word watching and almond branch are shoked and shoked. And God purposely uses that word, watching over it, even if it's a little clunky, to trigger something in Jeremiah's mind. That when he hears or sees an almond branch, shaked, he thinks Shoked, God is watching over it. So when he sees the almond branch, not only does he be reminded of the hope that comes in the midst of the darkness of winter, he also knows that God is watching over him like an auditory trigger for him one thing that um and and i didn't realize is that those random hellebores were a sign of something else our yard was insane it was overrun with a crazy amount of weeds vines flowers I, i think our former owner took seeds and she just chucked them just all through the backyard i mean our backyard we called it a jungle And we enjoyed those hellebores for February and March when everything was dead and the yard was bare. But man, come April and May, we could not keep up with that yard. It was insane. And this is exactly what the second vision that was given to Jeremiah was for. He said, the word of the Lord came to me a second time. He said, what are you seeing? He says, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. And the Lord said to me, out of the north disaster shall be let loose at all the inhabitants of the land. The the second uh, vision is very literal. The Babylonians and other warring tribes were amassing against Israel, boiling up in a pot, almost like water boiling to the top, threatening to spill over. And Jeremiah's task was to both speak out against them, tell them about the one true God, and also to protect Israel. On a deeper level, though, God is telling Jeremiah something very important. Hope, yes, know that I'm at work, but never underestimate evil. Evil is always at the door trying to break in. The sin of the world is is like that boiling pot of water slowly bubbling up, threatening to spill over the top. We must have hope. Yes, we must cling to hope, but we should never be naive to the evil in the world. As Christians, mature hope always has a healthy understanding of the evil and brokenness of this world. We're not naive to it. Eugene Peterson puts it this way, and it's up here. Uh, the visions penetrate appearances. By means of the blossoming almond and the boiling pot, we're trained to live with a keen edge of hope and never to be intimidated by evil. For if we're going to live in God's image, alive to all that is God, open and responsive to all He is doing, must trust in His Word. Trust what we do not see. And if we're going to live in the world attentive to each particularity, loving it through all the bad times without being repelled by it or afraid of it, or conform to it, we're going to have to face its immense evil, but know at the same time that it is limited and controlled evil. I think for us to be mature Christians that are going to go into the world for spiritual, social, and cultural renewal, we have to hold both of these things in tension. The hope that is Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection power also in tension with the evil that we know that sin is wreaking havoc on the world. And this, I, I do think, is what we are offering to a waiting and hungry world. Hope. Not hope that everything will be perfect for them if they become Christians. But hope that the brokenness that they feel every day is not the end of their story. And if we're not shaped by the Gospel, how can we fulfill its call in our everyday lives? How can we not offer it to them? So what does this mean for us? It would be easy for me to stand up here and tell you to have hope that your anxieties are going to go away, that your restlessness with your job, your relationships, your money situation, your family is going to get better. That if you just do the work of the gospel, it'll be better. If you just pray enough, it'll be better. If you just believe enough, it'll be better. But That would be a lie. No. The gospel is not a solution to our anxiety. It's not a fix for existential angst. It can help with those things. It's not a promise that we will one day arrive and feel like we've got it all together or or, uh, that we will never fall short any longer. No, the gospel is hope that in our inadequacy, in our falling short, in our not being enough, Jesus still loves us, that He still died for us. The gospel is hope, hope that the brokenness in this world in our own hearts And that we see all the time is not the end of the story. The gospel is hope that all is not right will one day be made right again. The gospel is hope that Jesus is who He says He is. God become man who died so that we could find salvation and life eternal with Him one day. This is how we can do gospel ministry in our everyday lives in every facet of our lives that seems broken beyond repair, in a world that seems broken beyond repair, we have the great Redeemer and Restorer in Jesus Christ who is working in and through us for His purposes. He is alive. And He is active. And He is restoring and redeeming, and we get to partner with Him in it. What a gift. What a joy that we get to do that. And this is what we offer to the world, not a solution to their problems, not a quick fix to jumpstart their lives, not medication for their anxiety. We offer them hope in the midst of evil and sin, freedom in the midst of enslavement, the light of Jesus in darkness. It took me um, some time and some healing uh, to, I think... um, do the work of ministry vocationally, which is what I do. And I do think that the work of the pastor is important. Um, I'm blessed and honored that I get to do this job and preach the word and walk with y'all in this thing that we do. But it is a mistake if I ever or you ever put me in a place different than you. We're in this together. We're doing gospel ministry together in our families, in our homes, in our jobs, in our schools, and we all get to partner together in the restoration and redemption of Jesus Christ in this world as he is repairing and restoring all that sin breaks. And that is a gift, and I am honored to do that with you, and I ask that we continue to do it together. Amen.